0: reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, on page 1065. Reading from verse 1 to verse 15. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, just as we do our moving around, rearranging if anyone wants to grab one of the packs at the back, children want to grab a pack, then feel free to do so. You'll notice also on the back of the orders of service, you've got uh, some headlines, some headings, so you can follow along there. And if you want to make notes, if that would be helpful for you, then uh, feel free uh, to follow that or fill it in, jot things down. That would be good. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray you would teach us now and the things that we read here, that we learn from Jesus as he met Nicodemus. Father, please with those truths come through the centuries and hit our heads and our hearts and our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us now by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, like I said before, we're doing uh, this sermon series on encounters with Jesus, when Jesus met particular people. Now, just why are we doing this series? Um, uh, Last term, home groups, some home groups, I think all home groups, were doing uh, Passion for Life videos. So this is sort of evangelism training, training how to reach out to others with the gospel. And one of the sessions that several groups said was really helpful was one which was encouraging us. When we're speaking to those who aren't believers, to if they've got questions when they come back with responses to take them to things that Jesus did and said and encounters people had with Jesus and someone said well it would be helpful to have maybe a sermon series on that to remind us of some of the encounters Jesus had with people which is why we're doing these four sermons over August of encounters with Jesus when Jesus met uh, different people. And so today, I think today is a wonderful one to take non Christians to because it surprises people to hear how Jesus responded to this guy, Nicodemus. Here is Jesus meeting a very religious man. When it comes to being in with God, no one could do better. So, our first point, which is on the sheet, if anyone was in, it was him. If anyone was in with God, it would be Nicodemus. That's what everyone would have thought. Just have a look at his credentials. Have a look at who he is. Verse 1 of the passage. So you're on page 1065, if you've closed your Bibles. Page 1065, chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, that is written to make us impressed with him he's a Pharisee. That is, he is one of a group of Jews who were really committed to keeping the Old Testament law. So committed to keeping the Old Testament law that they would make up more laws to sort of hedge the Old Testament laws. So they didn't just know that you weren't to work on the Sabbath, they made up more laws to make sure that you didn't work on the Sabbath. They added laws upon laws, and they were sticklers for keeping them. These were the Pharisees, very committed to ritual and to religious observance. He was a Pharisee, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That means he was a leader, a ruler, someone in a position of high authority, highly respected. As someone has said, he would be like a bishop, an MP, and a professor of theology, all rolled into one. He was good, he was religious, and he was very important. And it says, intriguingly, he came to Jesus at night. Verse 2, it tells us that. What's the significance of that? It's intriguing, isn't it? That he comes at night. Maybe it's he didn't want to be associated with Jesus, didn't want people to know, so he comes under cover of darkness. But in John's Gospel, night and darkness have another significance, that darkness symbolizes spiritual darkness. And therefore there's a hint right at the start that Nicodemus, for all his religion and his position, is in fact in the dark. But again, on the plus side, verse 2, it seems he's come to a good conclusion about who Jesus is. It seems positive, doesn't it? Verse 2, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. That seems very positive, doesn't it? Jesus, me and my friends, maybe it's me and my Pharisee friends. We think we've spotted who you are. And we think you're from God. Well, that's pretty good, isn't it? He thinks that because he's seen the signs. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. He knows about miracles that Jesus has done knows about the signs, and he's pieced it together. He said, yeah, we think we know. You're genuinely from God. So, as we are introduced to Nicodemus in this chapter, we start by being impressed with him, don't we? And Jesus is just about to mention the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God for the Jewish scholars of the time was uh, meant if you were in the kingdom of God that was mean that you would participate in the kingdom at the end of the age to experience eternal resurrection life that's what they were expecting if you were part of the kingdom of God and in the thinking of the day all Jews would be admitted into the kingdom apart from those who'd done something really bad or had deliberately rejected the Lord God. Basically, everyone was in, apart from the really, really bad. And the most in of them all would be Nicodemus. He ticks all the right boxes, from his religiosity to his nationality. Wherever you draw the line, he would be in, people would think. Now, in our secular culture in which we live, people don't tend to talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, Lots don't even think that there is a God. But yet, from what I've seen, from the many funerals that I've taken, most people, without any evidence at all, think there is something beyond this life that loved ones live on in some way and since everyone who dies lives on according to this thinking in a sense the bar is very low isn't it for most people uh, it is what someone has called salvation by death all you have to do is die and you live on Uh, The Jews in Jesus' day, they had a bar. You had to be Jewish and not do anything really bad, and you would be in. Today, people generally think the bar is incredibly low. In fact, there isn't really a bar at all. Everyone lives on. And surprisingly, plenty of churchgoers think this as well. Maybe you think it, that everyone's basically okay beyond this life. Well, therefore, when it comes to Nicodemus, whether you're a first century Jew or whether you're a 21st century secular person, we would think he's okay. We may not choose his lifestyle, it would be very alien to our lifestyle, but certainly when it comes to life beyond death, surely everyone is thinking he's all right, he's in. But Jesus says there's a problem for Nicodemus, doesn't he? And our second point is there on the sheet and will be up on the screen. But you have to be born again. Verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So Jesus very clearly here saying, isn't he, that to get to the kingdom of God, to life, to eternal life, something has to happen to you. You've got to be born again. There is an entry requirement. It's not to do with your height, how many limbs you have. It's not to do with whether you can play football or not. It's whether you've been born again. And the big shock here, as we've been teeing it up, as you've been expecting, is Nicodemus is not in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You see, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you're not in and in fact no one is naturally in the kingdom of God. But more than that, none of the things that they or we would assume would get you in, in fact, do. Whether religious acts or kind deeds or by just dying, none of them get us into the kingdom, get us life. That's what Jesus is saying he's saying you've got to be born again so okay what is this second birth that he's talking about now we have a problem don't we with the term born again because people tend to use the expression to mean something different from what Jesus means if you think about a born again Christian you maybe have an image in your mind it is a person who is forever smiling singing particular kinds of Christian songs, with great gusto, maybe, they are persistent in talking to you about Jesus and anyone, and they have a particular religious fanaticism about them, don't they? Maybe. Maybe your image is slightly different. But we have that image. It's a religious fanatic, isn't it? And yet, that cannot be what Jesus meant, because Jesus is speaking to a religious fanatic. And he's saying, you need to be born again. He's not saying to him, oh, you need to become even more religious, even more fanatical. No. Being born again is different, isn't it? It's not that. So what does Jesus mean? Well, Nicodemus basically asks the same thing. He says, verse 4, How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, I think it's probably right that one of the commentators on that verse says that Nicodemus isn't thick. I mean, you know, he knows that Jesus isn't actually talking about biologically being born again. It's probably just his way of expressing, Jesus, what are you talking about here? This is nonsense. And so Jesus explains. And he clearly explains in a way that he expects Nicodemus to get. Because later on he says, Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher and you don't get this? So what he's saying, he's saying, Nicodemus, you should understand this. So he explains, verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, what does that mean? When Jesus talks about being born of water and the Spirit, he is making an Old Testament reference. One that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, who would have understood the Old Testament, studied it a lot, should have got. Because to be born of water and the Spirit is really one thing. And it refers back to a passage in the book of Ezekiel. Now in the book of Ezekiel, just to go back there, this is hundreds of years before Jesus said this, in the book of Ezekiel, God's people, the Israelites, have been banished from the land. Don't look at that quite yet, I'm just giving you context, but good to have it up. Um, I'm just giving you context. So in the book of Ezekiel, God's people have been banished from the land of Israel. They've been exiled because they've disobeyed God, they've rebelled against God, and they have done it over and over again. God has been very patient with his people. But because of persistent rebellion, he's sent them out of the land of Israel. In the book of Ezekiel, they are out of the land and God is telling them about their punishment. But then by the time you get to Ezekiel 36, God is saying, I will bring you back. It's not all hopeless. I will bring you back to the land. But I will do more than that. And this is what he says. So it's up on the screen It's from Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Now, you notice in there the references to water and spirit. So if we have the next slide there, you see water and spirit being referred to here. Uh, This is the passage Jesus is referring to. Now, what is this being born again of water and the spirit? Well, you can see that the water part is mentioned at the beginning of the passage. What's that referring to? Well, in that passage, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. So the water part is to say, I'm gonna wash you clean. God talking to the Israelites, he's saying, when I bring you back, I'm gonna wash you clean. I'm gonna get rid of all your wrongdoing and of all your idols, your worship of other gods. I will cleanse you of them, I will wash you. And then the spirit part, which he goes on to then, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit uh, in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the spirit to say, I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you want to do what I, what I say, so that you want to obey me. I need to wash you clean with water. I need to put my spirit in you to change you. You see, it's not enough just to be washed clean. Like if, Not just washing your car, but it's like changing the engine. It's, it's a big transformation, and God's saying, I've got to do this to you, because so far in the book, in the whole of the Old Testament, God's people have just been persistently disobeying, rebelling and rebelling. And God's saying, look, I need to wash you clean, but I need to change you so that you want to do what I say. And Jesus is saying that to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you should know from the Old Testament, you can't just be religious and get in with God. You need this transformation. You need God to wash you clean and to change your heart, to put his spirit in you so that you will be transformed. And that's what we need too. Nicodemus's problem, the Israelites' problem is our problem. That we need to be transformed because our hearts are rebellious against the king. See, we need to take on board the fact that the Bible that God tells us there is a kingdom. This world was made by God, everything in it, all who live in it belong to God. And God is the king, but we, as mankind, are rebellious against the king. Some are rebellious against God in very open, you know, upfront ways, shaking their fists at God, but some do it by doing nothing. I like the illustration Mike Cain gives in his book on John's Gospel. He tells of him and his brother when they were children watching TV. Maybe we can all relate to this. Uh, Him and his brother when when children watching TV and they watched a program which would go on till half seven. But their bedtime was seven o'clock. And so when their mum came in to tell them it was time to go to bed at seven o'clock, what did they do? Nothing at all. They stayed and watched. And that is rebellious, isn't it? It's disobedient. You see, we can rebel against an authority either through outright rebellion or through ignoring them. And that is what we do with God. It is our default setting to rebel against God either openly or through ignoring him. And we need this new birth too to get into the kingdom. We can't get in by religion, but by being washed clean and having our hearts changed. And being in the kingdom, now don't get this wrong, I've been talking about this in relation to life beyond death, but of course being in the kingdom, and as you go through John's Gospel, you see it's not just about life beyond death, but it is about life now. To be in the kingdom, you need to come under the king in this life, and it is life then that stretches on forever. Okay, so that's what being born again is. It is needing to be washed clean and have God's Spirit put in us. And Nicodemus, quite understandably, then says, well, how? How can this happen? Uh, Jesus talks about the Spirit as being like the wind blowing wherever he pleases. So this new birth happens at how God wants it to happen. It's unpredictable. Is the nature of God's work, which is a, just a little reminder for us, isn't it? That people becoming Christians is not just a case of, you know, do step one, step two, step three, and then they'll become a Christian. It's not just a, you know, if I get the arguments right, if I present it in the right order, they'll become a Christian. This is God's work, God's spirit at work. Yes, we need to present the gospel, but it is God's spirit and he blows where he wants. He does what he wants. You see the effect, but we can't control him. Well, Nicodemus asks, verse 9, how can this be? In other words, how does it happen? Jesus tells him, well, you're Israel's teacher, you should know. You've done your homework, you should know how it happens. Now, verses 11 and 12, 11 to 13, I don't propose to spend a lot of time in those verses. Um, But just to pick out this, that Jesus does give Nicodemus a very good reason for listening to him. After all, you and I might think, why listen to Jesus? Jesus talking about a kingdom, why take his word for it apart, you know, rather than anyone else in our culture or any other religious leader? Why trust him? Well, Jesus says, verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now that is a theme that you would need to pick up through John's gospel or through other gospels, a theme of where Jesus is from. And Jesus says he is from God, and that actually gives, is saying he has far greater authority than anyone, than Nicodemus or any other person who has ever lived, because he's saying I've come from God. And that is something you can investigate by looking at the gospel, seeing who Jesus is, what's his identity. And that is a claim which actually you need to engage with if you haven't yet. He's saying, I come from God, that's why you must listen to me. But then he answers Nicodemus' question, how can this happen? How can this being born again happen? And you get it in verse 14, and this is our third point. How to be born again? Look to the cross of Jesus for life. So verse 14, have a look at that again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now again, and unsurprisingly with a religious leader, with someone who knew their Old Testament, Jesus is referring back to another Old Testament passage. This one way before Ezekiel. It is when the Israelites were on their way to the promised land. They haven't even got there at this point. They're on their way to the promised land. They're traveling through wilderness And the people grumble against God. They complain about their situation. It's too hot. It's too dry. There's nothing to drink. There's nothing to eat. And they complain against God. And so God sent venomous snakes into the Israelite camp. Imagine that. A load of venomous snakes in the camp and they're biting people and people are dying it sounds terrifying sounds something some movie maker would make something terrifying out of these snakes in the camp killing people and the people go to moses recognizing what they've done they say sorry Uh, they they say we've sinned and they ask moses to pray that god would take the snakes away so Moses prayed, and the Lord said to Moses that he should make a snake and put it on a pole, and any who were bitten could look at the snake and live. It's interesting, isn't it, that God doesn't just take the snakes away. He says, make this and put it up. People have actually got to do some act of faith here. They've got to say, actually, I mean, easy to do though, isn't it? You've just got to look at the snake and you will live. And so Moses does, He makes a bronze snake and puts it on a pole, and when someone was bitten, they just look at the snake and they live. And Jesus says here, "Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's him, himself, must be lifted up." Well it's pretty clear what Jesus is talking about there is he? he's talking about the cross, that just as that snake was lifted up, so he would be lifted up on a cross. And he goes on, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Here is Jesus saying how it is that people can be born again, how they can have life. He says we need to be like those Israelites in the desert, bitten. If you were one of them, or if your family members were bitten by a snake, what would you do? You'd get to that bronze snake, wouldn't you? You'd... Drag your family there if needed. You'd you'd get them, you'd you'd do whatever it takes, just get them to that snake. And Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up and I am the way to life. You need to look to me, believe in me, and you have life. Not coming to Jesus as Nicodemus did, assessing him. I think I know who you are. But coming like the Israelites in the desert. Desperate for life, knowing we're dying and need Jesus as the cure. Because only at the cross can we be washed clean. Only at the cross can our wrongdoing, our rebellion, be taken by Jesus. Only there can we be washed. And only there, through Jesus... Can we receive the Spirit who changes us so that we want to obey God? Do you see, Jesus is saying everyone needs this second birth. Even the religious, even the religious like Nicodemus, need to come to Jesus for second birth, to be washed and to have God's Spirit put in us. And over and over again in the Bible, I want if you know your Bible, over and over again God does this. He doesn't work in the way we expect him to. There is a similar pattern that those who we might assume are in with God because of their religiosity or their nationality are shown by God not to be in. And those who we might assume are on the outside are drawn in. So Nicodemus here, religious Nicodemus, is shown not to be in the kingdom of God. But the very next chapter is a Samaritan woman who everyone would have thought is not in the kingdom of God. She comes during the daytime. Nicodemus came at night. She's a woman and she is immoral. She's from a hated nation. She is on the outside. But Jesus draws her in. And you get this elsewhere in the Bible as well. It's a wonderful pattern. For instance, in the Old Testament, at the begin, in the book of uh, Joshua, when the people enter the land. You see, God is consistent throughout the Bible that he is like this. As they enter the land, they, come, they charge into the land. They come to the first city that they're going to take. It's the city of Jericho. And who do we meet there? We meet a prostitute by the name of Rahab. She is on the outside. She's never going to be in. And God draws her into his people. But not long after that in the book of Joshua, you come across a guy called Achan. He is in. He's in God's people. He's clearly in. And yet he is shown not to be in. You see, God is utterly consistent through the Bible that he is saying it is not your religion. It is not your nationality that get you in with God. It is faith. It is belief. It is trust in him. And even those who are clearly on the outside can be brought to God, can come in. Any can come in. But here's the thing. It is often those who think they're in, those who are the most religious, who find it hardest to come in because they think they're already in. Think they've got in because of their religion, because of their background, because of their birth, because of their family. And don't realise they're not yet in. And so we need to ask an important question, don't we? Especially if we've been attending church for some time. On what basis do you think you would have life after death? In what basis do you think you're in? And if the answer is, well, because everyone's in. Everyone gets life. Or because, well, I'm the right sort of person. I've not done anything particularly bad. Then we're as mistaken as Nicodemus and need to be born again. We need to come to the cross. You see, the right answer is that Jesus died for me and therefore I am washed clean and he has put his spirit in me and is changing me day by day. It's all about Jesus.